I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Rick, have you ever heard the expression, the customer is always right? Yeah. Yeah, well, here I am, the customer. That's not our policy. You have to order something from the lunch menu. I don't want lunch. I want breakfast. Yeah, well, hey, I'm really sorry. Yeah, well, hey, I'm really sorry, too. Welcome to Syndicate, a film and TV podcast. From our screens to your watch list, we gather to share and discuss your next favorite. Join us as we want you to spend less time scrolling and more time watching. And now, here's your host, Armand Haddad. Welcome to another episode of Syndicates. And joining the Cinematic Roundtable today is the director, Christopher Fox, as we discuss his latest film, Rub, along with one of the major inspirations for his work, Falling Down, the 1993 film starring Michael Douglas. Christopher, welcome to Syndicates. Hey, how's it going, Armand? Thanks for having me, buddy. I'm glad that you're here. So before we really get started, I saw your movie, and I do have to say, it is fantastic. I was completely blown away, not only from the storytelling, but also the cinematography was on point. It was so beautiful to watch. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, it really means a lot. You know, when, when you work on these on these films, you put so much time and, and effort and you're, you get so sick of your own film after a year or two of making it. You're like, is this thing a piece of shit or is this a good film? So having an outside uh, an outside viewer like yourself who's seen so many films say that, I, I really appreciate that. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. And we put a lot into it, making making it beautiful with the you know the production design, the costume design, the color palettes of of every scene and every shot. I mean, I I personally planned out every single shot for over a year of what is going to be in freight. You know, I mean, right. granted, a couple of things here and there, you know, spontaneously happen. Beautiful mistakes happen on set, but 
Yeah, thank you. I, I, I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. And thank you for sending over that screener because it's currently in post-production. And I mean, even even the temporary tracks and like maybe the film isn't quite done yet. It's still I was I was blown. Away. I was watching. I'm like, whoa, this is amazing. This is really good. Thank so you. rub like before we really dive into it, other than falling down, like what inspired you to create this film? Because this is your third feature film right this is uh it's actually my f- my first feature it's oh. my th- it's my third it's okay. my third film that i've written and directed um wow. I've, sh- I've i've shot and edited and pretty much directed a feature for a client of mine um a couple years ago that i uh i did everything for and from from doing that process i'm like you know what i think it's it's time for me to make a feature we were supposed to shoot a short um right before the, the shutdown literally the weekend in new york new york shut down and we never ended up shooting it unfortunately and just like many people in the world um i reassessed a lot of things in life i'm like you know what it's time for me to to, to graduate to the feature film world what's the point of making short films anymore you know right um i mean but, you did a fantastic job i didn't even know this was your directorial debut this is yeah <laughs> thank, thank you so much that means a lot um yeah i mean Film wise, the inspirations, the inspirations kind of came to me after I came up with the concept and the idea of of Neil, the our main character, yes. our protagonist, and then um, and then other inspirations along the way, other film inspirations kind of took place as I started writing the script. Um, to start from the very very beginning, I actually. Uh, I was getting a massage, not not the kind of massage <laughs> our, our our lead character gets. And if you've ever gotten a massage and you're just in the room by yourself, you feel very vulnerable. <laughs> and right. it just like is a spark. I swear to God, it just came to me. I'm like, what if this place just, you know, I don't want to ruin, ruin the plot. If something bad were to happen right now, I would be very vulnerable. And then I started developing the character of Neil. And, um, you know, Neil is a... Uh, a mid thirties likable guy, but socially awkward who doesn't have a lot, a lot of friends and I developed the story around him. And then as I started writing the script, you know, films like true romance really mm-hmm. uh, inspired, inspired the film and inspired the way I wrote it. Um, but I also took a, a very interesting way of writing it. I, I wrote the basic structure but then I wrote scenes to locations that I knew I could get for free or for practically nothing. Um, and from there, I really developed a lot of the scenarios that happened throughout the film per location. Um, Interesting. Yeah. And another big, big thing. Um, I live in Peekskill, New York, and it's a, it's a, you know, it's our community. It's got a pretty good film, film community as well. I wanted to see if I could pull off making an entire feature in in like a 20 mile radius um, of Peekskill. And that was like a kind of a, a personal challenge to kind of do that for myself. And uh, I think I feel pretty good about it. I think we accomplished that. Yeah, you definitely have this sense of scale and surrounding with uh, the story because like it doesn't take place in one location. Your characters branch off and like you're on the journey with them. And if I could, could I read the tagline of your film Absolutely. just to get the listeners please, up to speed? Do. All right. So your tagline of Rub, meet Neil. He's lonely, gets bullied at work, and is unlucky in love. 
At the suggestion of a coworker, he decides to go to a massage parlor, and in the process, his life changes in ways he never imagined. Okay, so rub. Like, I went into a blind. Like, I saw the trailer. You reached out to me. He was like, come check out my movie. So I checked out the trailer, and I was like, I was, I was like, whoa, this piqued my interest. So then you send over the screener, and I watched it, and I was like, I was taken on a ride. Like, I like going into films blind because, Absolutely. like, because you as a director, you're building the world, and you're going to take me as an audience member on a journey. And I meet Neil, and Neil, he's... He's a loser. <laughs> <laughs> to say it nicely, yep. Yeah, he's a loser. And I was like, I don't want to be like disparaging, but like he gave me like incel vibes, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> like, I don't know if that was the inspiration for his character, but like to paint the picture, he's like wearing, he almost looks like Dennis Rader, the BTK killer with yeah, those yeah. wireframe glasses. He's balding. He's very thin. He's not like a big heavy guy like Dennis Rader, <laughs> but like he gave me like, like, this is the type of dude. So if you're watching The Office, the sitcom The Office, he's kind of like uh, Dwight Schrute, except not <laughs> not approachable and not lovable, you know, like him. But he's it's just like, oh, he's the crazy guy. And yeah. what blows my mind is that his coworkers are like prodding him and like egging him on. And I'm like, why would you why would you mess with that guy? <laughs> it's that's funny i mean and now that we're talking about the cut there was so much more uh stuff that happened in the office uh that ended up being on the cutting floor just because of multiple reasons um but yeah the, the original once i started writing it I'm like kip from napoleon dynamite <laughs> you know meets you know uh the girl from Roma, if you've seen Roma, mm. like that's, yes, it was yes. just like two total opposites attract that, you know, find each other in the most odd of circumstances is kind of the, uh, the basis of it. But right. yeah, Neil, Neil's an interesting, interesting character. And, uh, Micah Speyer who plays our Neil, he, it's like, if anything happens from the film, I just want him to be put on the map also, because he is an amazing, amazing talent. And I, uh, I, I, I found him through, I think it was backstage and nice. I looked, yeah, I had, you know, I had my breakdown of who I was looking for. And as opposed to putting out a, a post for actresses submit, I just went through thousands and hundreds of uh, profiles and I looked at it. I'm like, I watched a couple of his videos and he had that dark, that dark side that <laughs> not many people can have that. He's just got, he's got such range, you know? Right. Um, that I think within the film, you see it, as you said, you go, you go, you go on this journey with him and you see the range that as an actor that he has and the casting the film was, uh, was a lot of fun as well. <laughs> yeah. Let me take a moment to talk about Micah Speyer. Uh, his portrayal of Neil was so good. Like this was like triple a acting chops, you know, especially in the first act where he is getting bullied and being pushed to the edge, kind of similar to defense and falling down, which we'll yeah. get into later. Like, we have a man pushed to the edge and like Neil, that, that's a hard thing to portray if you're not a professional. And Micah is obviously a professional and he just, you know, embodies and emotes this darkness that's bubbling within him, reaching to the surface. And then he explodes and then he's set on this journey uh, because of his actions. Yep. And Micah just did a fantastic job. He's like the crowning jewel of the cast i do have to say oh yeah, i'm sure once he once he hears this and sees this i'm sure he'll be he'll be very happy about that <laughs> um you know it, a lot of the stuff is is having pure 
talent of being able to embody a character. And when I, when, when I casted the film, um, I also, once I found Neil, as I started writing it, I, I really worked with actors and hired actors and casted them around the characters. And I built these characters around them. So it wasn't too far of a stretch and overacting is like the worst thing for me is when you watch, <laughs> you know, low budget independent films and yeah. it's just, it's the actors are just trying too hard and they don't, yep. they're not, they don't embody the character. So yeah, Micah, Micah, uh, you know, without him, I, I wouldn't have the film I have. And as a director, I, I know that, but at the same time we worked for six months rehearsing, you know, like almost oh. there's some improv along the way. Cause he's, a, I let him do his thing. And I think directors should do that. But mm-hmm. I mean, word for word verbatim is pretty close to the script that what we really worked on along, you know, um, and as you said, you know, there's certain things that it's tough to portray and it's tough to come across without it being overacting or seeming cheesy or, yeah. you know, explosion. So it's like some of these things, even my producers are like, dude, I'm really curious to see how you pull this off because on paper, it looks like it could, it could be a kind of a cheesy moment, but you pulled it off somehow and it looks awesome. So, you know, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. Micah just did a fantastic job. I was like, Kudos to you for letting him breathe and letting him to uh, explore this character in his way, uh, because like he's getting in that psyche to you know flesh out this Neil character that you wrote down. Um, but let's switch gears to the woman that he meets. So like, uh, not giving too much away, but uh, Neil, like I said earlier, is kind of like an incel. You know, he's uh, doesn't have much luck with the women. Um, He's made fun of at work. He's a loser and all in all due respect. But like eventually he goes to this massage parlor and he meets a woman and her name is Perla. And could you tell us more about Perla? The character of Perla um, is um, a beautiful young girl who came to this country looking for an opportunity and unfortunately fell into the wrong hands as a lot of women do coming to America, looking for a new start, either it be by themselves, either being with the family or single. And I don't want to give too much away, but put into a world unwillingly that she just kind of rolls with the punches and just that that's her life. You know, if you do something for so long, you get, you get, you can, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting what human beings can become comfortable doing right. after, after, you know, there's no choice or you, you don't have a choice. Um, but she's a strong, warm hearted female lead, Latina female lead character, you know, and Jennifer Figueroa, who, who, who plays, uh, Perla, um, is a close friend of mine. I've worked with her a couple times in the oh, past, wow. in the past. And, um, just like when I found Micah, on other films I've worked on with her, um, once I started writing the character of Perla, I'm like, this, this is Jenny. This is Jenny all the way. I had to tame her down a little bit to bring her down to the character <laughs> of Perla. But yeah, she's, uh, she's a, another great talent as well. And, um, and she really, you know, between them, between Micah and, and Jennifer, they really, they obviously they're the two leads and they, they really carry the film amazingly. They really do. Like without them, like, I don't know what this film would be because like <laughs> she is a good uh, compliment 
to Micah's portrayal of Neil. So we have like this this woman that he encounters that radically changes his life uh, in multiple different ways. And you definitely sympathize with her character because like uh, without giving too much away, like she is a victim of her circumstance, just like with Micah, Micah's Neil, like, but in completely different, uh, uh, completely different circumstances because like Neil is like a victim of bullying, it's really bullying like yeah. from all aspects, his family, his coworkers, just his entire life is pretty pathetic. And then Perla is in this situation where she is just, it's just survival mode for her. Absolutely. And you definitely sympathize with her journey and they kind of need each other in the end. And that's what brings them together is like, like Neil needs Perla and Perla needs Neil. And what they do from there is just, it's, uh, it's very uh, dramatic. Thank, thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, Perla's, Perla's character, there's a different, a couple different rewrites that I was going through and a lot of her actual backstory um, to go another direction really quickly talking about Perla. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I researched a lot of uh, stories and read a lot of articles and went down the rabbit hole of, women that were put in her position uh where where she found herself and a lot of the stuff i i took from um true true stories that i horrifying true stories that i read of of these of these you know females these girls that that, you know lived a life of perla Mm -hmm. um and i think jennifer she is from dominican republic but she came to this country when she was like seven or eight i believe and you know when we first started talking about the character there's certain certain things that happened in her life that she can read that she was able to really relate to our character Perla that really? I didn't even realize until after we started getting really down to the nitty gritty huh. of, of rehearsals and stuff. And she was such a trooper, you know, she, you know, she came to, up to the plate for me and she, you know, she hit, she was batting a thousand the entire production. She never complained once. I mean, it's very easy to complain when you're working and you're shooting for 10, 12 hours a day, um, you know, and you know, getting as many takes as you want, but she was, she's an amazing person to work with. And I can't wait to work with her again. That's great. That's great to hear. So we talked about the inspiration for Neil. What was, I mean, what really inspired you to write Perla's character? Cause like she is a very strong woman and a very distinct character. I was just wondering what fueled, uh, the writing process creating her. Uh, what fueled the writing process to creating Perla was a lot of the opposites of what ne- what you think Neil would kind of go for or end up with. I think a lot of the research I did of these women that I've never met before in my entire life, a lot of these girls that have lived the life of Perla went into the inspiration of, of creating Perla to be this almost mythical character to somebody like Neil, this loser, this, this, this guy who never, <laughs> uh, uh, never in a million years knew this place existed as he said right. in, in the film, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, she's, she's there to help him get out of his funk uh, per se. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, is, at first, is she really, or is she just doing her job? You know, it's right. Y- you know, um, but I wanted to, you know, I wanted to really, create a strong female character for 
for Jennifer, you know, to, to really portray mm -hmm. this, this strong female character. Cause you know, you see a lot of big, bigger films and bigger companies that, you know, they try so hard to make this predominant female character and it just fails miserably. So, <laughs> so badly, um, like with Disney and star Wars and the Obi-Wan show. I mean, yeah, I can go on forever about how they force feed female characters into, into plots where it's like stranger things. 11 is like the greatest example, in my opinion, of like a, mm -hmm. a strong female character. It's right. because she's, you know, because she is there, she has a backstory. They wrote it like that way. It's not just forced on people. And I think that, uh, Perla, Come, comes off like that that you know she's just a strong female character that's just put in the terrible situation yeah i i think the big difference between like the corporate uh storytelling that we see in like star wars or or the like in your in your story is that the main difference is you have a strong character that's that's what people gravitate towards they want to see strong interesting characters it doesn't matter what they look like yep and like with you, it's like, here's a strong character who happens to be a woman. Okay. Not, this is a strong character because she's a woman. Yeah. There's, there's a complete, there, it's just the intent of why you create the character. Because like with you, it's like, I want to create an interesting character, the people that can one, relate to and be inspired from. And you decided to form it into a woman. So it's like you had like the foundation of like, this is what the character is. This is what the, the character is overcoming. This is their circumstance. And this is their journey. And now let's create it into uh, a Latina woman. It's like, that's how you do it. And Absolutely. You did Absolutely. You know, and I, 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 t I totally agree. I, th I think that you have to first, you know, establish the character and then build the character around what you establish, not the opposite. Not it's a female and then, you know, or a male and, and then establish it like that. Um, yeah, she, she, she was great. Um, and, you know, um, as a director, I want realness. I want truth. I want, you know, blemishes. I want someone not to be perfect. I want to, right. cause that's real life. You know, real life mm -hmm. is sort of depressing and, and <laughs> nothing is perfect and nothing. No one, we live in this fantasy world where everything and everyone looks perfect on social media and all this other shit, you know? So it's like, <laughs> I want to, I want to get back to like the grittiness and the rawness of life and film. You know, it's, I think, that's kind of what we're what we're lacking a lot of in the in the independent you know low budget world because that's at the end of the day it's what, what we are you know um yeah. but yeah she she's she's an amazing talent and i'm glad you liked her uh her performance oh yeah she was great um i'm glad that you highlighted the grittiness of this film because that's a perfect way to uh, describe your film as gritty and you exemplify that with your two characters with the two actors because they are not perfect they're not the type of people that you would see in like a feature film. Like uh, Neil would be played by like uh, Chris Evans or <laughs> like that would or be hilarious. <laughs> Michael Fassbender, <laughs> like someone like that, like uh, conventionally is a very handsome man. And, you know, they would like ugly him up. Not saying yeah. Micah is ugly. He's not. He's a very good looking man. Yeah, we, we definitely, we, we ugly, we ugly Micah up. I made him, made him shave, uh, grow his hair like that. Cause his hair is not like that normally. I was going to ask like, is, is his hair like that? Cause that's really unfortunate. If that, no, was, his like, hair wasn't like, like that. that. I, we made him grow it out. And then, uh, going another route, we, with the scheduling, there was certain things that happened along, uh, the shooting of principal photography that, um, we had to put off and wait like six months for to get these certain shots for multiple reasons. 
and he uh, had to get his hair back that certain way. So we had to wait. And he's like, dude, oh. I haven't, I can't talk to girls with my hair like this. Like, <laughs> he, he, I had a, a couple actors actually throughout the film that, you know, one had a mustache. They're like, dude, I need to get rid of this. Like, I'm like, I'm like, do you want to be in the film? Like, doing, you're doing me a favor. I'm doing you a favor. Let's 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 work together on this. Keep the stash for me. Um, you didn't have the budget to CGI out the the mustache like Henry Cavill. <laughs> yeah, we we looked into a, uh, a certain wig, and it was like a quarter of the entire budget of the film it was like 10, it was like fifteen grand to get like a full on wig. And I was like, oh yeah, that's, that, that's not, we can wait months, and I'll I'll edit the assembly, and we'll just you know figure out what we need. Um, I couldn't yeah. even tell. It was seamless. Thank you. Yeah, Couldn't I mean, <laughs> there, it was it was uh, it was a it was a process to say the least of of waiting those six months, um, of waiting some time to, to get what we needed for pickups. But I don't want to ruin why we had to get those pickups. But his appearance changes in the film, and we were behind a couple days, and there was um, a couple locations that you know last second dropped out on us, so we had to rethink a couple different things and i had to make the hard decision okay are we going to move forward with the next 10 days of shooting and everyone's on schedule and has not flights but has hotels and you know locations booked and all this other stuff or are we going to take a a breath of fresh air go back and get what we need now and then move forward and i was like you know what let's just we'll get it in six i'm like We'll get it in six months. You know, it was, it was the toughest decision I had to make of the film because it's like people can get hit by a car. Someone can pass away. I mean, this shit happens in life. And luckily, it all it all worked out. Thank <laughs> God that we needed it because it would have been a disaster if we could have gotten the shots that we need um, to complete the film. But, yeah, I mean, the grittiness is definitely his his hair and, you know, the production design, the, the wardrobe and all that kind of stuff. Color palettes. It would have been like Tommy Wiseau's The Room if oh like one God. of your actors got swapped out yeah. halfway through the movie. It was the kid in the, in the room, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, I've I've seen films that have part one and part two, and they change actors all the time. But yeah, I mean, uh, during that time, I was like, okay. There was also shots that were scheduled that we were going to get that once I got the assembly cut um, together – I was, you know, me and my, I call it the circle of trust, me, the DP, the producer, my, my AD slash composer. Um, we're like, we don't need that. We don't need that. We need this. We need this. And it really also gave me other ideas for stuff, for simple, simple stuff to, to get that we weren't even supposed to get on, on, on the, uh, in the script that really tied it all together, like the connecting fabric mm-hmm. of, of different scenes and stuff. Well, it all came together and it was awesome. Oh man, dude, that, that means a lot. And uh, yeah, it's, I mean, I know you watch a lot of films and you've been like, <laughs> it's a piece of shit. <laughs> but I'm like, most, do it. <laughs> it most certainly was not a piece of shit. Yeah, no, um, it's, it's a long, long process, man. Long time coming. And like my closing remarks on your film is that you like the grittiness, the, the acting choices that you had uh, made uh, with uh, Micah and Jennifer, like, you had authenticity on the screen and if it just felt real, like it's really hard to capture quote realness on film. Cause like, you know, when it happens, when you're watching a food, when you're watching a film and it's like, it, it just feels real, you know, that's not, but it's like, it feels authentic. Yeah. And you had that feeling in there. Nothing felt too manufactured. Like it felt like an authentic story of like people being pushed to the edge and they hop on these opportunities 
uh, for their own benefit, whether it's selfish reasons or liberation reasons. And you captured on film and you did a great job. So I have to ask, when is this film coming out and where is it going to be available? Okay. Um, well, first of all, thanks again that, that you, you hit the nail right in the head of everything I, I try to accomplish. And like I said, when you're, when you're three or two years into it and you're watched the edit so many times, you, you, you don't really double question yourself, but you kind of think about things, but thanks again. I really appreciate that. Um, when's it coming out? The film currently, the cut you watched um, was about 50% temp music, 50% um, locked music and temp color. The color will be done as soon as the end of next week. We're on the version four right now. And I am finalizing probably four music cues by September 1st. And then we will have our family, friends, cast and crew screening in here in New York somewhere, probably October, early October. And then hitting the festival circuit hard. Um, we submitted to... Um, about six festivals so far we've gotten feedback which i was really happy about from one and they're interested i don't want to even talk about it because i feel like you talk about things that just don't happen so um <laughs> yeah so it'll be the world premiere will probably be in the in this late winter springish of uh the, of next year i'm hoping early next year is what i'm really hoping for or sooner we'll see um we we had some distribution interest from uh, a company um, when we were in production from the, the original teaser that we we're going to talk to once once it's done. But you know, now that the world is back to somewhat normal and we're yeah. just, festivals are having in person screenings again, mm-hmm. like I I love the festival circuit of mingling and meeting people and making contacts just as a filmmaker. You know, um, I always that's how you meet talent and just network and. I will do the the festival circuit for about, you know, the next year or so and see how that goes and then release it and hopefully find the right distributor. Cause you hear horror stories of distribution companies ripping off indie, indie filmmakers. And, you know, we're experienced filmmakers and people from behind it. So even if we self distribute it, we might do that or just do hard copy Blu-rays and then it'll live online everywhere. Um, maybe Netflix. We'll see what happens with that. That would be awesome. Um, mm. Yeah. That'd be cool. Yeah. Well, I look forward to seeing the final cuts and seeing that uh, in theaters. So. Absolutely. I mean, hopefully we'll be playing some festivals in Chicago and I can uh, take you out as my guest and we can oh, hang out. That would be amazing. That would be fucking sick. Yeah, it would be So, dope. yeah, definitely looking forward to that. I uh, just want to remind the listeners, uh, be on the lookout for Rub 2022. Um, it should be out relatively soon, probably in the next few months. Hell yeah. All right, so let's switch gears to your main ins- one of the main inspirations for Rub, falling down. Because like when we were talking uh, before recording, I was asking like like what inspired this film, and you gave me a list of uh, movies, and one of them stood out, Falling Down, and I always wanted to watch Falling Down. So if I could ask, uh, how did you first hear about Falling Down? I know how I first heard about this movie. How did you first hear about this movie? To be dead honest with you, um, I was – so what year did it come out? Is it 89? 93. 93. So I was I was 13 years old when and this film came out, and my father was was watching it. And I don't know what it was, but Michael Douglas in those glasses, the first shot of the film, just, just as a 13-year-old, just, it just captured me. 
Um, <laughs> just just his character, just the way he looks to me uh-huh. is virtually, I was just so compelling. I'm like, what is this guy up to? Is like is <laughs> kind of what my mind my mind was at where my mind was at. But you know, as a 13 year old kid, some kids are sheltered and not allowed to watch film and not allowed to watch certain films like that with lots of violence and stuff. Um, my dad didn't give a shit. He was just let me watch whatever I wanted to watch that age. And he just loved that I was spending time with him. But, uh, yeah, I watch. I remember watching it with my father, um, for the first time. And it's funny because when you're 13, you don't, the older you get, the older I've become, I under, I identify <laughs> with him so much more than when you're 13. You're like, 13, 13, this guy's having a bad day. It's crazy. You don't, you don't really understand <laughs> why he's, there and what why he does what he does you know um yeah no he's he's he that's i think it's michael douglas's best film that and probably wall street yeah like a lot of people like looking back on his filmography they always look fondly on falling down yeah and i haven't seen this film uh, before you even mentioned it today all i knew about the movie was him going to their version of mcdonald's and he's trying to order breakfast And they're like, we don't serve breakfast anymore. And he was like, what? And it like stopped serving it like five minutes ago. (laughs) And And you see in the frame, there's still like egg sandwiches behind, behind the counter. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'm like, so seeing that scene on like YouTube, I was like, oh yeah, I can relate to that. Like, oh, I wanted breakfast. But like knowing, like watching this film, it's like, as an adult, it's like, oh, I understand what he's going through. Like the part that made me laugh the most, probably. It's not. It's not a funny film, but like, <laughs> I chuckled when like they were doing like construction on the street, and this is like when he's oh, fully unhinged near the end of the film, and he's like, <laughs> "But the road was fine two days ago." <laughs> yeah. He's like, "What are you doing?" No, I get it. You have to spend the money because if the city doesn't spend the money, they're not going to get the money next year, so they have to meet their spending quota. And the little yes. kid's like, I have no idea what you're saying, old man, you know? <laughs> but you got a rocket launcher, so let's, let's, yes. let's have fun with that. <laughs> yes. Like, this film, I wish I saw it sooner. Like, I always heard about this movie. And it's like, you know, you know, our watch lists are, like, ever-expanding, ever-growing. It's like you don't have time to get to all the movies that you want to watch because we're, we're all busy. Absolutely. But I'm glad I watched Falling Down in preparation uh, and talking with you because, like, I could see the breadcrumbs of how this inspired your character, Neil, uh, with the main character in this film, uh, William, AKA defense, um, just like a man down on his luck to put it lightly. That's pushed to the edge and he reacts in a spectacular way, except in uh defense's defense. It's not in a good way. It's a very, uh, problematic way of like handling stress. I would say, (laughs) Absolutely. And not for nothing is Robert Duvall. It's one of his yes. best movies also that kind of just gets, you know, swept under the rug sometimes that people, if you're, unless you're a cinephile, they don't really even know too much about the film or if you're, you know, grew up in, in, in that time. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, it's a good way to put it. There's a lot of breadcrumbs of, of Neil, of, of William, of defense um, <laughs> along the way. And for falling down too, I think, there's so much social commentary that will will stand the test of time. It really, 
like one of my favorite parts of the entire film isn't even any of the main characters. It's when the guy's outside the bank with the sign, I'm not economically viable. You mm. know, where he's like, the yeah. bank won't give me a loan because I'm a black man. I'm not economically viable. Like that was right around the riots of, of you know, the, the, the riots of LA and everything. Yep. Um, but that's still, you know, happens right now where it's, there's so much going on in the world that <laughs> the character it's not the film's not dated. I feel it's it's and it will never be dated. Just like everyone will always, somewhere or another, feel like like William, but hopefully, hopefully not react like him. <laughs> right, like this film felt like a very edgy um, office space. Yeah, like, excellent. Have, have you seen Office Space? Uh, it's one of my. That's that's one of the other inspirations for uh, the film. Yeah, it's absolutely. I actually watched, watched it the other day. It's a great, great, great movie. It holds up. Like watching it as a kid, it's like, oh, this is so funny. And then watching it after working, like I've worked a lot of corporate jobs, and I'm like, oh, I, I get it now. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's that's funny. Yeah, I mean, there's the similar similar characters. Another thing with falling down too is like you said, it, it's not supposed to be funny, but it kind of is. It has that you know, I don't want to say Cohen Brothers esque to it, but just like like Rob, there's some funny moments in the film, and falling down has some social commentary. Is uh, unfortunately, it is funny. I don't care what anybody says it, it. You have to take it for what it is, and it, it, it touches on a lot of that stuff. It's also it's also a very deep movie, and another film that didn't inspire Rob, but it came out around the same time that I think people like it for all the wrong reasons, but um, it's such a deep film as American history X that like, it's very similar to falling down where people like it for the, for the, you know, the violence and this stuff, but it's such a, such a deeper film than that. Then people like it for all the wrong reasons. And uh, in my opinion, and I think falling down is really just about like social, it's really just a, a social commentary film that shows, you know, the flaws of society in a way that and what, what the world can do to a person really, you know, right. um, I mean, you don't have a support group and you don't really have, you know, a family like, like defense does and, and stuff like that. Right. It really does. So before going any further into falling down, could you describe the film to someone that hasn't seen it before? Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Uh, yeah, Falling Down is a film about a, a man who is pushed to the edge by all the flaws of society that he seems to see but nobody else sees or has a problem with. And he just, and they just go along with their life. Like nothing's wrong, but he snaps. He has a, a meltdown moment that he does not turn back from. And he tries to fix 
all the flaws of society himself by taking action, you know, and having no law. Good job. Yeah, it was, like, like, it I was mean, tough. <laughs> so, like, what's interesting about this film is, like, it's like a slow, it's a slow burn. And once it gets boiling, it's boiling. <laughs> so, like, with this film, the main character, Defense, what's interesting is it's not revealed until later in the film. Uh, he works for the defense departments. He creates missiles. And so it's just funny that he is known as defense and he works in defense. Um, but like everything with this character of William, like it's just building up. Everything is like, it starts small and then it gets bigger and bigger and bigger as the film progresses. Like the first scene is like him stuck in traffic gridlock. It's LA. And he just decides to get out, get out of his car. We all want to do that. <laughs> just get out of our car. And he does that, and then that sparks the entire journey that his character goes on. Just like with Neil, like it's one action that leads down this path of where he ends up going. Same thing with defense. Like it all starts with like he's stuck in traffic, gets pissed off, and then he goes, and then he encounters like a gang. Actually, no, he goes to like a convenience store. Yeah, he goes to the convenience store. Is like 50 cents. It's like, no, it was a quarter last week, you know? <laughs> the, the, he tries to reprice the guy that, yeah, and then, and then, yeah, so the convenience store, and then and then after he leaves the convenience store, he's on the sacred ground of, of the Bloods of the Crips or mm-hmm. the, the gangsters, and I think that's the scene that just sends him down. He was going down that path anyways, but I think once he gets the weapons, he gets the bat, or I think it was, he, was it the yes. gun or just the bat? It was just the bat. It was the bat. <laughs> first and i noticed this right away because like he got the bat from the convenience store because he wanted to change to yeah. use the payphone he's like well if this costs this then i won't have enough change to use the payphone <laughs> yeah. so he essentially strong arms the convenience store guy gets his bats and then he encounters uh the gangbangers gets a butterfly knife so i'm like yeah, oh absolutely. right away i'm like oh it's escalating yeah. bats and then he gets the the knife and then later he gets a gun from those same gangsters. Yeah, that he that, that sequence is crazy. What happened in the middle of the movie when all that, when all that stuff happens? Um, Would when, you like to describe it? Uh, yeah, when the so he, the scene we're talking about right now, he's he was walking. I'm going home. That just in his head, he's just trying to walk home. Yes. Um, <laughs> and he he gets into a fight with these gangsters. He ends up winning. Gets a butterfly knife. And I think a baseball bat. Mm-hmm. All this other stuff happens along the way, but these gangsters don't forget it. They want to retaliate and find them. And of course, these guys have, you know, AKA 47s and all kinds of guns. And they do a drive by of, of him. But they, of course, have the worst aim and they shoot everybody <laughs> in, in the frame besides him. They yeah. get into a car accident. He just calmly walks up to them. This is one of my favorite scenes of the film. Gets the gun. He's like, you missed. And he kills. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he shoots the guy and lets, yeah. the, other, lets the other guy kind of just die on his own. That's how he gets all the guns. And that's how yes. he becomes even more uh, volatile to the situation. Um, yeah. And another great, great scene, which is very much like the American History X of the film, is when he goes to the army surplus store. Like that guy, that character is just completely out of his fucking mind. And it's yeah. like the craziest, craziest scene that happens in, in that film, in my opinion. Um, but that's when he gets, you know, even more weapons and just, right. it's just, there's just no coming back. It's like, no. once you start the snowball effect of these things in life, sometimes you can't find yourself coming out of it. 
but thank God they're movies. I mean, terrible things happen in this world, but you know, it's also, um, it's a movie at the same at the end of the day, so you have to take it for what it is. But um, yeah, no, Michael Douglas's performance in that film is 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 something so special. Yeah, because it's subdued and it's not over the top. Because you were saying earlier, like overacting just kills everything. Like uh, imagine it feels like overacting in this film. Like oh my god, like look at all this stuff. This is I'm having the worst day ever. <laughs> I'm so angry right now. Like that that would be a shitty movie. Yeah, and it, it wouldn't work either. If you think about it, like '93, uh, who was like the big act? I mean, Brad Pitt was not really that big yet. He was still very young. Like. I don't think Kurt Russell could have really played that character. Mm-mm. Maybe he could have. Um, Bruce Willis is too macho. I mean, Michael Douglas, like the casting to me is the most important thing in film really. And it, it, it's funny how these things work out because now your mind can never accept anybody else ever playing <laughs> the character of Luke right. Skywalker or, right. you know, our, our, our main guy, William and falling down. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think he he was he was amazing, and like I said, Robert Duvall, he, he's I think falling down in like Secondhand Lions is, is like his two really really best films, in my opinion, that he doesn't really get too much credit for. Right, because like with Michael Douglas's casting in this film, it's like he looks like a normal guy. Yeah, he looks like an everyday guy, and that's why I think a lot of people are gravitating towards this film is because of the pitch perfect casting choice. Because anybody can like put themselves in that character, like it's a subdued role, so it makes it more authentic. And the guy looks like someone that you would see on the street. Like it's it's not like this super handsome guy or this really macho dude like Bruce Willis or uh, uh, Kurt Russell. Like he's just a slim, normal looking guy. Yeah, he's and just, like he's 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 the guy you'd see in the office space. He'd be, you know, your your right. coworker, your coworker next to you, the Milton, you know, <laughs> of, of of that of that world. Um, yeah, I mean, and then another great scene in the film is, uh, "Come on, man, give me some money." I was a nah, man. He's like, "What are you a drummer boy?" <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's just it's once once again the social commentary of you know homelessness and you know people that you know are put in these situations that you know that looking for handouts and can't help this is every the film is just has so many layers it's so layered and i'll never forget the first time i I've, i've seen i saw the film when i was younger one thing that's really um stood out to me is that you don't really notice or understand why he wants to go home until like the middle of the movie. It's for his family and his daughter. And he wants to see his daughter for her. It was her birthday, I believe. Yeah. Um, they don't really touch on that until later, later in the film. So I think that really uh, like underline establishes, you know, his motives for getting out of the car and, and leaving. And I believe he leaves I think there's a is it a gift? He there's something in the car when he first gets out that he forgets, I believe. Or maybe I'm just making that uh, I think it was later in the movie where he gets a gift for his daughter. Yeah, but like, yeah, yeah. The, you're right. Like, in, <laughs> yeah. Um, because like in the beginning of the film, the first and second act, you just, it's just a guy going postal. He's just unhinged. He's snapped. He's like, he had enough and he's just taking it out on the world, the society he lives in. It's only later that we learn the context that, oh, he's actually uh, a divorced dad who doesn't have custody of his child. Yep. He's not allowed to see his family. His wife, his ex-wife has a restraining order against him because he has anger issues. 
which we have seen throughout the film. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, yeah, it's just like the 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 spiral downward into the underworld that this character uh, embarks upon is just it's a spectacle to see. And like, for example, with Robert Duvall. Side note, because like you, you mentioned the the line of like that homeless guy. So I served in Nam, man. Give me give me a dollar. I want a sandwich or something. And what's interesting about Robert Duvall is that I'm used to seeing him in 70s movies Absolutely. when he is younger. And one of them was Apocalypse Now, oh, where he yeah. plays uh, Killjoy or Kilgore. Uh, and it's a it's a Vietnam movie, so a little a little yeah. bit of a through line there. <laughs> but like seeing him in this movie, where he's like a retiree cop, like about to retire, and it's like, oh. He got old. <laughs> yeah, he, he definitely got old. He is he's, he's still alive, right? He's still with us. Yes. Yeah. He's just very I think, old. I think he retired from acting. Though. I, I think I believe I was reading that he's he's done. Well, I mean, good for him. He had a quite a fruitful career of yeah. acting since the '60s, pretty much. What's even What's even better about that scene too? He's like he, he's like he gives the briefcase. He's like, all right, and then he opens it up. And there's like a banana and an apple, <laughs> and he loses yes. his shit because he just wanted a handout. He wanted he wanted the money, you know. Yeah. Um, so you live in New York. I live in Chicago, and like I encounter homeless people all the time, and they're always looking for money. And you know, just deep down, I empathize with uh, William's character in Falling Down, where every time they ask me. For like, can you have change? I'm like, oh, how about my change? How about you give me money? I need money too, man. Yeah. Like, wait, I'm just supposed to give you money for free? Like, just panhandling? Did you know those people? I'm getting off my soapbox, but like, did you know those people make fifty grand a year, just Basically. begging for money? It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. It's like what? I mean, Are you kidding me? Yeah, I mean, and also to touch back on rub. And also falling down and, you know, homelessness. There is, you know, I, I do sympathize a lot with, with them because mental illness is is a real thing. And some of these people, you know, can't help themselves. And it's just society, mm-hmm. unfortunately, just puts them back out into the world because they don't, you know, it's like the Joker. And, you know, mm-hmm. um, people, Arthur Fleck, it's just a character of Arthur yeah. Fleck. And there's hundreds of thousands of millions of people out there in this world that, you know, society just you know, pushes away and scrubs under the floor that, you know, for a long time, I would see homeless people, you know, losing their mind. I'm like, Oh, they're on drugs until I encountered a really close friend of mine who was, uh, uh, was bipolar schizophrenic. He was, uh, just labeled a couple months ago. And it's like, wow. And now that I, I've seen that hand first, you know, these, some of these people that are out there, they just, they can't help themselves. And, you know, mental illness with the character of, of William, he's, He's not right, you know, and society has pushed him so to the limit where there's just no coming back. And yeah, absolutely. Like what's interesting is in in falling down. And also I like how you um, mentioned the Joker, Arthur Fleck, because like he is. Yeah, I mean, he has issues. He has mental health issues and the city he lives in does not care. And then if you you know, even, I mean, there's a, it's a common theme with like the character of the Joker because like in the dark Knight too, there's a theory that he was a army vet that was cast aside because like, he's so knowledgeable about weapons and all these other things in the film that point towards him being a former army vet. And same thing with the VA. Like they, they just don't care about their own people. And it's like, these people are left on the streets and we have a society that doesn't do enough to help these people. And 
with rub, it's not more of a societal problem. It's more of a an interpersonal problem with uh, with Neil and how his him reacting to the society he lives in. But like with falling down, it's definitely it's not a constructive for William to go on this rampage. <laughs> like <laughs> doesn't society suck? Yeah, but what are you doing? You're not doing yeah. anything. Yeah. You're not doing anything to solve these problems. And honestly, like your reaction isn't helping. Yeah. I think a lot of it too, he, I think maybe I'm making this up. I feel somewhere along the way he, he mentions that he makes bombs and he is part of the problem that, you know, he, 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 he serves destruction in in a, in a way. And I think right. if it's not mentioned, I think that's like an underlining tone of, of his personality. And what's even crazier off topic, one of my closest friends that I haven't spoken to in a decade, he worked in Rochester, New York for the, the American defense. And he, he made bombs. He basically was wow. the character of defense. We joke about it, but he cracked in 2009. He was my roommate and he went off the deep end. And I, we had a huge, not falling out. We just, I just disappeared. But then I've heard, I hear stories from friends of mine that still live in Los Angeles that they've seen him on Venice beach, like just, all all fucked up you know and it's just he cracked really? because of wow. multiple reasons and now he's part of you know the arthur flex of the world that society has just you know shunned and people just demo he's crazy he's a drug addict it's like no he's got problems that he you know that no one can help him with and it's, it's sad it really is i forget what city in america <laughs> but there was a city in america that actually did something they poured a ton of money into social services to like help the homeless problems that they mm-hmm. had. And it worked like they, I think that they bought out hotel buildings and like had nurses and like the problem is manageable and it can be solved, but it seems like these cities don't want to spend the money. Like, yeah. I don't know, like here in Chicago, like, <laughs> like I, I was talking about like the, the street scene of like, well, this street was fine. Two days ago, our streets fucking suck. There's potholes yeah. everywhere. And it's like, we have pretty high taxes and it's like, it's not going towards the roads. And like <laughs> here in Chicago, it's like, they're open. Like other cities, you know, there's like, Oh, it, they're corrupt. Yeah. Chicago is like, we are corrupt. Yeah. And it's like <laughs> totally like transparent about it. It's like, yeah, you know, in Chicago, we're corrupt. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in New York a few years ago, I think the de-, de Blasio let prisoners out of, out of jail. And they yeah. gave them Mets tickets, gave them Mets <laughs> tickets and like a coupon to get Dunkin' Donuts or some oh shit like that. And God. people were like, what the fuck is going on? But at the same time, I mean, if it's like a non-criminal, if it's not a non-violent offense, if it's like marijuana or, right. you know, pissing on the street or something stupid, they shouldn't be in jail in the first place. So I get that. Right. But I've also seen funny memes about people drawing like all kinds of stuff on potholes and it, the town will finally fill the pothole because there's like a, a butthole drawn on, on the on the pothole or something, you know. Oh I was thought that's smart. I was, oh yeah, I was, I was, there's, there's one there's one at this pizzeria parking lot down the street from me. It's, I'm talking, you can fit a human being in this thing. It's, it's like a manhole, and I want to like go there and just like get like a, a fully grown pot plant and just like put it in there <laughs> and just wait for someone to fill it, you know. Um, I I avoid that 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 parking lot at all costs. <laughs> Oh um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, society, uh, we're getting back to it, you know, if we're on that topic, uh, you know, the last couple of years have been really rough, um, making a film during making rub during we shot principal in 2021, which is still in the height of the pandemic. 
Um, you know, everyone was tested. We, we masked up as much as possible. Um, you know, we took the proper procedures. We had a COVID compliance officer, you know, um, but I think it's been a rough couple of years and a lot of people and people are just happy that it's hopefully more than likely behind us and society can kind of rebuild itself in a sense. Cause what was going on regardless of COVID during 2020 was just inexcusable, you know, just crazy, crazy times. It was like Game of Thrones every yeah. day. Yeah, that's a good point. And um, yeah, it's, you know, I'm, I'm happy that it's behind us. And now we got to, you know, come out of it together and get back to art, get back to film, get back to music and do uh, do what we love to do. Absolutely. So are you ready to get off the fence on a few questions regarding falling down? Uh, yeah, let's do it. All right. So as we reach the end of the film, uh, William has like a cathartic moment where he realizes, wait, am I the bad guy? When he's being confronted with the detective played by Robert Duvall. And I have to ask you, was our main character defense, the hero of the story or the villain in your opinion? In my opinion, he's a hero because everything, all the problems he, he, uh, he points out along his journey they, they they are real. There are there are problems. You know, something as stupid as not being able to get breakfast at a certain time. Um, when you know the crazy guy, he's like, "We're the same, me and you." He's like, "No, we're not. You're a crazy lunatic. I'm just a guy trying to get home." But he can't understand his own inner problems. But ah, let me backtrack. He's he's half and half. He's half the villain. <laughs> he's half the villain, half the hero. Because um, some things I, I agree with. And some things I absolutely do not agree with because violence is never, never the way. But, you know, the whole road being that's true. It's like if the yeah. counties and, and states and cities don't use their money, they're not going to get it back from the government. So they have to just fix problems that aren't there. And then, like right. we just said, the potholes that are the problem aren't being fixed. It's, right. you know, um, that's a great turning point in that film. But, yeah, uh, he's more he's more a hero in, in, in my sick mind than, <laughs> than the villain. He's like the character. He's like the shadow in all of us, William, I feel like he's definitely there and we all feel that way, but we don't act on it for obvious reasons. Absolutely. Um, to me, like what he's saying isn't wrong. <laughs> it's just like the way he presents it in a way. It's like, yeah. Like for example, the, the fast food scene where he's like mad that he's five minutes late to have breakfast. It's like his response to that was pull out a submachine gun and get it by force like you will make me an egg and cheese sandwich <laughs> it's like that's that's not good and then like when he meets that army surplus guy the turning point for me which i didn't expect he's like let me show you my my cool stuff in the bathroom yeah. it's all that this nazi stuff and it's a shrine to hitler and i'm like what the fuck you know at that moment it's like oh <laughs> This guy's crazy. <laughs> I'm in danger. And Williams was in danger and he kills him. He fucking yeah. killed him. That's really the point of no return for that character. It's like, oh, now he's going down a path that he yes. can't go back from. Yeah, it's almost like a, a twisted Dexter in a sense that he, uh, you know, tries to fix society's problems and that, killing that guy is like, who's going to be missing that lunatic? You know, because there are plenty of people in this world like that, unfortunately. Um, so it, it wasn't, it was like a, you know, a mercy kill in his mind is putting that guy out of his own misery. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, 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 that's, that's, that's a good point. I feel that he, he uh, yeah, he, that's when you see like, Oh no, 
you were crazy. I'm just a normal guy just trying to get home. <laughs> and for the viewer, the audience, that's like it shows that is he is he that is he a bad guy or is he actually not? Because he at least knows the difference between his insanity yeah. and this guy's insanity, you know. So he, he has he has some morals, <laughs> right? Because like that neo Nazi was like, we're the same, we're the yeah. same guy, and Williams was like, no, we're not. Yeah, I'm just, yeah. I'm just trying to go home. I'm just mad. You're a fucking insane person. Um, I think so, what really sets him off though is when he smashes the snow globe. That's what that's because that was yeah. the, the gift for his daughter, and that was like that was the end of it for him. Right. Yeah. That was. Yeah, that was the final straw. <laughs> He's like, you know what? Fuck this. <laughs> um, do you think Williams' downward spiral was his fault or reaction to an unjust society? Uh, that's a tough question. Um, the human in me wants to say it was his fault, but the uh, the film maker in me wants to say it was society's fault. It's a <laughs> it's a little bit of both, just like the hero and the villain. You know, there has to be a cause for reaction in life with, with, with everything. People just don't react for no reason. Uh, I mean, sometimes they do. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't think they do. But I think there there's enough reasons for him to snap. That society has, you know, made him made almost made him do it, but no one can make you do anything. It's your own action. So I'll I'll make it a hard. It, it's his own fault. I think it was his fault too, because like it was more than just a reaction from society. Like he didn't, he did nothing beneficial for himself. Like, it's not like, oh, he tried getting another job because he was laid off from his defense job because we weren't fighting the Russians at that point anymore. So it's like, <laughs> we don't need to make missiles. And he could have got another job doing something else, maybe work for NASA or like literally anything else. Instead, he pretends to go to work for like, what, six months or something? Yeah, like that. that was that was a cool point. That was a cool little thing about that. It, it shows is, is the levels of insanity below him, you know? He was right. still packing his lunch, going to work. His, his, it was his mom was like, he's been going to work every day for six months. He's like, oh, we found out he's been laid off. It's like little the little tidbits, like yeah. the little the little things like that along the way just layer his his craziness. It's like, oh, it's like you didn't do anything positive during that time. You could have done something, but instead you just wanted to dwell in your anger and your resentment towards everything. It's like that, it's it's not productive. That would have been an absolutely horrible movie, though. If it starts off with him in the car, him reading the paper, he's like, "Oh, NASA's hiring. I'm going to go there and get a job." And he goes, he goes and gets a job, and then he just lives his life happily yep. ever after. Credits roll, done. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Then, then the world would still have that lunatic at the Serbia Plus store. People yes. wouldn't be getting breakfast, um, you know, all all day long. You know, um, streets would still be getting fixed on the taxpayers' money for no apparent reason. Um, trying to think of a, a couple other scenes in the film that um, really are you know st that stand out to me, but yeah, those 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 are the big ones. Yeah, um, yeah, that pier that they shot that final scene in, in it's in uh, Venice Beach. It's a famous pier. I used to go there all the time because of that movie. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. I think they, they might they might have actually torn it. I'm not sure if it's still there because there's there was two. And yeah, I think that that I think that exact one that they shot is still there, and there was one that was torn down in like the early nineties. Because I know, isn't that Santa Santa Monica Pier or 
Is that a different one? That's a it's that's a different one. Cinemark Pier has you know all of the which we call it's a merry-go-rounds and stuff. Yeah, there's a, that that's like more towards Venice Beach Marina del Rey area. Um, and I, I, I off the top of my head, I think it's Washington Street that runs all the way and stops at the beach, and then the pier goes out because when he's running, when he goes to his house. At the end, and he's running along. That's that's all Venice Beach, and they do they do a hard cut. It's funny when you live in LA, and you, when you live when you have lived in LA, and you know all these places, and you're like, you know, have a photographic memory. You know, when you watch movies, at least I do. Like they made a hard cut at like you know at a Venice Boulevard, and then all of a sudden he's right there. But it's such a seamless edit where he's running through the the, the, the boardwalk traffic, you know, and then goes yeah. up into the boardwalk and. That area is really not that busy either, so they probably did a lot of uh, production design for that one scene. But yeah, it's a uh, it's a great film, great great film. <laughs> so, do you think falling down is relevant to our current day and age? hundred percent, hundred percent. You could take certain things out. Like you can get rid of the the breakfast scene, and you can you rewrite it with something current that's going on right now. Um, off the top of my head, I can't think of <laughs> what, what, what that would be, but yeah, I mean, there's so, so much, you know, uh, social commentary that goes on in that film that will relate, you know, to any, any, any time area. I mean, that's definitely, definitely a, uh, relatable film to current times for sure. What do you think? I think it's relevant and relatable too. like, there's, there's some issues that just don't go away. When it comes to like reaction to like society and like corporate America and uh, injustices, uh, class injustices, like it's it's all embedded within falling down. Like, yep, yeah, totally. it, it has the aesthetic of the '90s, but like if you look past that, it's like, oh, this is the same stuff, same stuff, different <laughs> decade. Unfortunately, it's only a matter of time to the remake it. You know, that's that's what's going to happen. Um, the remake of Roadhouse, I, I I see with Jake Gyllenhaal, which is I love Jake Gyllenhaal, but that movie should not be touched. Roadhouse, it's a classic right there. Falling Down should not be touched. Point Break, they already did, destroyed that film. <laughs> you know, it's like Hollywood needs to you know find new creators and, and new uh, you know storytellers to to tell stories because. There are a lot out there. There's a lot of amazing filmmakers out there that can uh, tell these stories and not have to remake. It'll be sad days when they remake Falling Down because it's you know it, it's it's coming. <laughs> yeah, I've noticed that that a lot of films are like filmmakers and like big studios are like hmm, the '90s, free real estate. <laughs> yeah, what can we rip off and repackage and put in some characters and uh, make a bunch of money without actually working for our our paychecks? You know. Right. Um, Remember the '90s guys? Come watch the movie. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, there's down. even like that. I'm not economically viable. I mean, that's like with even with you know real estate with the interest rates going up so high right now, people can't even afford to buy a regular house or condo. You know, a year ago you'd be able to. You know, that's that's you know hopefully going to go down. Um, right. You know, people are still on like the forgiveness act of of COVID, but I know several people who were dealing with this forgiveness act and now their house is technically in foreclosure and like wait a second like i was Whoa. being i was being helped but now i it's like yeah nothing in life is free so you have to like you know uh prepare for these kind of things that are going to happen but yeah i mean falling down could you know i even uh, could come out at any any year there's always going to be you know stuff wrong but i think the stuff that they touch on in 93 
is still very, very current right now. Definitely. 100% agree. So my last question for you, would you recommend falling down to a friend? I think most of my friends have seen it, but you are now my friend and I (laughs) I recommended it to you. And it's definitely in my top 10 list of like all time films. Wow. And I would 110% recommend it because I think everybody does need to see falling down for sure. Yeah, I feel like it's kind of required viewing if you consider yourself like a film fan. It's like this is right up there. Like Michael Douglas has never been better. Well, I don't know. Maybe Ant-Man. Maybe he's better in Ant-Man. <laughs> he's in Ant-Man? I've never actually seen Ant-Man. He's in that? He's in Ant-Man. He's like, so Ant-Man, who played Paul Rudd? He's yeah, like, Paul He's like the Q if you were to use like James Bond lingo. He's the guy that makes the gadgets for oh, sweet. Ant-Man. Interesting. Yeah. That was a joke. Uh, he's much better in this movie. <laughs> <Falling> <laughs> down. Yeah, I mean, 100% I would recommend this to a friend. Like, this is... God, it's so good. I was watching. I'm like, it doesn't happen a lot, but like when an older film like this is still like fresh, it feels like it was made today. You don't get that a lot. Like, like clearly it's, you know, 90s, but it's like everything about it is super relatable. It's entertaining. It's exciting. The pacing is just right. It's just a well made movie. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very well made. I think that era of films, like I think Point Break came out around that time. It's like the era of films that took place in Los Angeles, Los Angeles <laughs> at that time. You know, uh, Point Break, American History X, uh, Falling Down. Um, you know, the, the list. The list goes on and on of films that come out at around that time that have that kind of like timeless feel to it. You know, because L- L.A., especially like on the West Side hasn't really changed that much in like that beachy Santa Monica Venice area. So they really embody like that, that vibe of, of LA um, and falling down. I always, I call it the wife test because my wife is eight years younger than me and she is actually from Russia originally. So she, you know, she has a different perspective of American culture. So a lot of films that I grew up watching, she's never seen. And we have like, you know, we watch a film it, like falling down. She's like was blown away by, and it's like, uh, you hit the nail on the head where it, it does. It's, it's not dated. It, it can, you can watch it 10 years from now and it will still hold up film wise, story wise, you know, social commentary wise is just everything that goes along with that film that it's, you know, a great film. Great, great film. Wow. Well, that's great. Yeah, that's, yeah. it's interesting to get like different perspectives of like, oh, definitely films. Yeah. I mean, she's never, she never saw Star Wars until we were together. And that, you know, I did the, uh, I did the one, two, three, four, five, and six version. Um, uh, what would you call it? The chronological viewing order, if you'd say. Oh, that's <laughs> such a sin. That is a sin. I'm theatrical, man. You have to watch them. The years they came out, yeah, that's yeah. Just me. That's that's how we grew up watching them. And as far as I'm concerned, it ends at episode six. It's just that's how, <laughs> how how I think. Um, I did not like the. Uh, the, the I mean, Force Awakens was pretty cool, but in, in reality, it was the same exact story as New Hope. <laughs> you know, um, and the other two, I just they're all watchable to me. I just I can't do it. <laughs> it's, it's just my opinion. Um, but the Mandalorian was awesome. Book of Bubba Fett was slow, but got really good. Obi Wan was good, but did you see that some fan made a cut that's like uh, a two and a half hour long movie? 
You know, I posted that link in the Discord channel, uh, Discord, uh, syndicate.com forward slash Discord. Uh, I haven't seen it yet. Is it good? Did you watch I d- it? I downloaded it. I haven't watched it. I haven't had time because my entire life consists of uh, finishing up Rub. And yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, you know, time is of a virtue and uh, trying to get things done. It's, you need to take a break every once in a while. And then when I, when I take that break, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's like office space or like, I don't know, uh, Breaking Bad or something like that. That's another influence I forgot to actually me- mention, to be honest with you, is the transformation of Walter White with, uh, with Rub, with Neil. That when I was writing the script, I was actually, I never watched Breaking Bad when it first aired. Um, so I was just busy in life working in production. Um, but during 20, early 2020, when the shutdown happened, when I was like 30 pages into the script, um, a lot of influences actually came from Walter White and, and Breaking Bad of the, the story arc of, yeah. of Neil. Yeah. Yeah, I could see. Yeah, it's a nice parallel. Like that's that's a good comparison to make that he's has a similar trajectory yeah. like Walter White where he starts here and then because of circumstances he becomes uh this character that's knee deep in uh the shit. I don't want to give too much away about Rub. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's quite I'm not gonna say jarring, but it's like you don't expect that. It's like, oh, we're going here. Yeah. We're we're there. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, ex- I'm excited for the, the future of, of the film and uh, getting it completed, finishing, finishing it off. I'm, I can see the finish line. It's one of those things you, you know, you take a year to write it. You shoot it over six months in our case, a year because of certain, you know, dilemmas that happened and certain things. And then you take a year, uh, six months to edit it. It's a three year process, you know, right. th- th- what this has been, but at the same time, it's it's been the greatest three years of my life while while I've done it. And if you don't put your heart into it, and you said it was authentic, and that to me that mm-hmm. means everything because that's all I really. At the end of the day, it's not about me. It's not about everyone else. It's about just making a film for the viewer that the viewer can enjoy. And that, as a filmmaker, that's all I feel I ever want to do is just make something of quality and something that feels authentic to give somebody, you know an hour and 40 minutes out of their life to get away from whatever's going on in their life. Well, amen to that. You did a great job. Thank you for reaching out and letting me watch your movie. Absolutely. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Are you ready to close this out? Uh, yeah. All right, let's do it. But that's it for this time on syndicate. We hope you enjoyed yourself. We've been talking about rub and falling down. Please check them out where they are available. Rub will be out very soon. And before we sign off, thank you so much, Christopher coming on to the show it's been a blast thank you thank you so much for having me um yeah it's it's really the first time i was able to talk with i don't want to call you an outsider but talk with somebody who's not attached to the film and get a f- fresh set of eyes on it and mm-hmm. just talk about the inspirations of what led me down the journey of rub with neil and it was you know a pleasure to be on. And I really cannot thank you again from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. And thank you for coming on. Where can people reach you or follow you uh, on this journey of rub? It's uh rub film on Instagram at rub film on Instagram. And then on Facebook, it's also uh, at rub film. We will have rubfilm.org, which we purchased will be up. Um, by mid-September for, you know, the festival push. 
and rubfilm.org will have all the information that you need for screenings in local cities and uh, worldwide. And find us on Facebook at rubfilm. Awesome. Everybody go check out Rub when it's available. It's a great film. And if you like to keep this conversation going, please add us on your favorite social media platform at Syndicate. That is Syndicate on Instagram and Letterboxd. Or join the Discord server where you can catch myself along with other podcasters and listeners talking about this film and others at syndicate.com forward slash Discord. Until next time, stop that scroll and spend more time watching. Goodbye. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.